Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about e-commerce merchants experiencing FOMO, fear missing out, um, and specifically around where your competitors are putting their ad budgets. Um, certainly, for any brand, you don't want to miss the boat. And uh, in recent episodes, we've been talking a little bit about some modern places that you can put your ad spend. But you know, sometimes your competitors, they, they find a niche, they find you know, certain targeting and such that works really well and you know they're growing and and they're thriving and, and uh you can learn a lot um you know i i think in many ways uh you know that it's a compliment to others when when you find that what they're doing is is valuable and and you certainly want to pay attention so um with no further ado we've got a great guest with us today we've got john redmond from the bosco team john would you do the honor of introducing yourself yeah, so John Redman, I'm the founder and CEO of, of Bosco, uh, which is uh, some technology built by a business called Modo25. Awesome. I always love to ask about these company names. Can you tell me a little bit about how Bosco and, uh, and the parent company, right, Modo25, yeah. really came about uh, as names and part of yeah, the branding? Yeah. This is probably one you've never had before. Uh, Robert, we've um, so when I first set the business up, I wanted the business to do some good in the world. So we ultimately help people make more money out of the internet, right? So that's great, but I don't necessarily want that put on my headstone when I die. John helped people make more money out of the internet. I want to do something a little bit more wholesome. And I met my business partner whilst on a charity bike ride uh, from London to Sydney. So we're we're cycling from London to Sydney over 25 years. And my business partner was one of the founders of Skyscanner. So you might know the flight booking app that you go if you want to find the cheapest flight somewhere. And anyway, he, he invented that and sold that to a Chinese travel company. And we were cycling along on our charity bike ride, coming up with the idea for what is now Modo 25 and Bosco. Uh, and we were like, what should we call the business? And we were always going to donate some of our money to charity. And we were always going to encourage the team in the office to donate some of their salary to charity. And uh, the charity that we help is a is a Ugandan orphanage. Okay, so we help take 280 kids off the street. We help clothe them, feed them, educate them, and hopefully, my long term vision is that we're going to create a Modo 25 office in Uganda where we can actually give them a job. So the the Modo is actually the name of one of the children, and the 25 signifies the ride 25 where Bon and I met cycling to on 25 legs to. Uh, Australia. The honest answer there, I suppose, is we couldn't get modo.com, right? So <laughs> we had to come up with a number. And there's a, there's a load of evidence and research. That if you have a number in your brand, people remember it. It's more memorable. And then Bosco uh, is the name of the gentleman who runs the orphanage. So Bosco provides the vision, direction, and 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 I suppose the future for Modo. So that was sort of like the connection. So it's slightly unusual Um to name your business after two people who live in an orphanage uh, in, in Africa. Uh, but it, it sort of brings back the sort of purpose to what we're trying to do as a business. So we are a for-profit SaaS business. We help retailers make more money out of their digital marketing by identifying what their competition are up to and hopefully helping them outsmart the competition. But fundamentally, we then use some of that money to try and make 
a few children in Africa's lives a little bit better. You know, I had so many jokes to crack during that, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine cycling over oceans all the way to Sydney, uh, Australia, or, uh, you know, or I don't know, you know, Bosco, you wanted to compete with Hershey's and, and, you know, Nesquik and uh, on it, but you know, and and then you know we start talking orphanages, and I just want to start singing numbers from Annie. And, you know, the sun is going to come out, uh, but you know, but that's that's just such a beautiful story. And I I know we've had um, at least one company that's a B Corp come on and and talk about, um, and that's that's some time ago, probably a year or two, um, but talk about how you know they really wanted to build more than um, more than just a, a money machine that it's okay to be profitable there's nothing wrong with that but th that they wanted to to have more of a, a vision beyond that and I, I think it's it's just a, a wonderful thing um, you know that, that I can certainly appreciate uh, and so diving in on on our topic a little bit for today uh, because I could keep waxing philosophical about <laughs> <laughs> and I can go on all day about why it's nice to do nice things. But ultimately, I suppose we've got to sell some software to help retailers make more money so we can do the nice things. Well, and, and I've got to educate these users on what they're missing out on. <laughs> I, I promised them some FOMO. <laughs> so I better make good on it. Now, your team has helped create metrics, you know, that merchants can use to understand just how strong their brand presence is online. What goes into those metrics you know what is it um that that you find that's really important for understanding where your your brand well what your brand standing is in the market so i i think there's lots of individual tools out there there used to be a sort of one number that helped everybody held as a benchmark called hitwise from Experian years ago and that's sort of gone by the wayside and i i was i my background's always been I was marketing technology, then I got into agency world, and then I got into search, and we got really deep into like paid search and helping people spend millions and millions of dollars a month on Google. But we used to build software that just helped Google make more money, okay? And I'm like, well, that's we're just feeding the Google monster. And actually, shouldn't we be building some software uh, to help the clients make better decisions right? and actually place their bets in the right place? So what we wanted to do was sort of, Understand if I'm a if I'm the CMO of an e-commerce business or a retailer, where should I spend my next dollar, right? And how do I know that's a good place to spend it? And so we started there, but in order to sort of understand that, we had to take quite a few steps back and understand the market you're in, understand the category you're in, understand your visibility within that category versus your peers, uh, and that could be across uh, paid media that could be across marketplaces that could be across organic so we went out over the last two years and found all the best independent data sources that we could find uh, to enable us to collate uh, and then score your online visibility versus your peers across all these different uh, metrics and different platforms and we call that the bosco index uh, and really the bosco index is sort of the starting point um and it could say you might decide, well, we don't want to be in marketplaces. Right? We don't want to sell on Amazon. Right? And that will influence your score. But what it does is it, if your competition is selling on Amazon, it's going to highlight that you should be thinking about it. And it should be saying, well, why don't you have an Amazon strategy? What is your Amazon strategy? What's your marketplace strategy? Um, so what it really does is it, it gives you a single metric to benchmark yourself against your peers. And then from there, we can then start analyzing, well, Based on a budget of X, 
let's say $200,000 a month and my average order value is $50 and I've got a particular metric I'm trying to optimize to, what we've built is an algorithm that then predicts which channels you should be investing in to outbeat and, and outflank your competitors. So, um, so that's where we started. And now um, the exciting bit, which I think you've been talking about on previous podcasts, is what are the new medias and where else should be people going? What Bosco will then do in the future is predict, well, is it more effective or efficient uh, to take the money you're spending on Google and start doing some Facebook shopping? or some social shopping in Facebook, right? Or not Facebook, so TikTok, right? And, and everybody's probably sat there going, well, TikTok's not right for my customer, right? That's the, the answer most people say at the moment. But well, let's pull the data and let's find out where could you be getting better value new customers versus just feeding Google. And I think that that's sort of where we started. And we've now got a platform that answers those questions for, for retailers who, who sell online across multiple channels. So... Um, uh, but yeah, that was a long way of answering your question. So we take multiple data sources, organize them to give you visibility of you versus your peers and then give you a single metric. And then from that, we can give insights on what you can do to, to outperform them. Well, and I think that's really interesting because starting off by ingesting the data on first where they're at and, you know, that automatically just starts to tell you something that because a lot of businesses, you know, they're not they don't find themselves trying new things on a daily basis, right? You know, that um, that everyone's got some level of finite resource. And so you find a mix that's working and you stick with it for a period of time. But then having to identify when when's there a new trend? When is there something else that, that's become more, more mature or that seems to be, you know, building up and figuring that out? And then looking at, you know, where are your competitors and where are you basically... Because some of the way that I look at this, there are times when it does make sense to walk away from a certain market. Um, there are times when you don't want to be associated with certain things or, or there's not enough profitability or there's some other problem. But if your competitors are there and you're not, you've given up that market and to some extent, at least that you've let someone else own the space uh, and you've, you know, you've left a, a vacuum for them. So. Yeah. Uh, for for them to occupy, and so I think that 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 is interesting. At looking at both sides of it, where are where are you, and where are your competitors? And you know, you could look at it, you know, in, in multiple different lenses with multiple different lenses on it. I think that that's that's nice altogether. For a lot of people, that is challenging. And I think just doing the competitor research is challenging. Um, that a lot of people struggle to get through that in any kind of business. Yeah, and I, I think historically also you've got to subscribe to so many different tools and so many different platforms. And what we wanted to do was just combine all of that and try and give everybody a simple metric to, to sort of gauge off. And then sort of rolling forward, if we actually connected to the e-commerce platform data it's themselves, we can then use our algorithm to predict not just, oh, move some money from Facebook to Google or from Google to Amazon or wherever. We can actually say, invest in this campaign because it's under optimized because i think the other flaw in digital marketing that we're trying to help people and, and sort of ultimately uh the merchants fix is we we um if we were to go to google robert and have a meeting there and say where should we invest our next marketing dollar they would always say google i'm pretty certain and if we went to facebook they'd say facebook and if we went to amazon they say amazon so they are no way incentivized there's not many people out there who are actually incentivized to give you the right cross-channel mix because arguably even some agencies out there 
make because we actually provide our technology to agencies as well because a lot of the agencies are biased on what they know so they've got this knowledge bias of historically they've always been a google shop or they've been a facebook shop and actually that's all they know so they're not going to recommend a new channel such as a tiktok or a pinterest uh because they don't know about it and they don't necessarily have the expertise to do it so what we're trying to do is enable business owners to ask smarter questions by connecting their data to say well actually uh, why aren't we investing in these campaigns in this channel? So either challenging your internal team or challenging um, your agency. And, and I suppose we've all seen over the last two years with the pandemic, the increase in, in visibility of e-commerce versus physical stores. And I think that's been an, an amazing opportunity for the e-commerce world. But it's also given challenges to, say, multi-channel retailers, because historically they would be very focused on the store data. And now you've got these senior people hugely interested in what's going on with e-commerce. But the last thing you want to do is give the login to the back of your Magento platform or the back of your Google Analytics to the CEO because they might press the wrong button and break it. Um, so, um, or to the finance director. Where's that never going? happens. No. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, we, we wanted to create a sort of read-only, all data, all channels <laughs> insight dashboard that enables them to see the opportunity but, and then have a conversation with someone who can then implement that. And I think that's the key thing. We're not trying to be a black box that replaces people. What we're trying to do is analyze this sea of data that's in front of you and say, we believe the opportunities for you to beat your competition are here, here and here. And this is how to do it. You need to go away and execute that. But this is what to do and where to do it. So, well, um, so, and so I that's imagine what we do. If you make 10 predictions that, you know, there might be a couple that when the actual human beings look at it, they say those probably, you know, they, they look good on paper. They know their profit margins and their market and their, you know, that, that they might decide that a couple of them don't make as oh, much sense. But that's, yeah. that's part of the beauty of it. I, I find that in a lot of cases, let's, so I'll, I'll pick Facebook for a moment. You know, if you, if you, you know, hypothesize this, um, this kind of ad, this kind of, you know, this target audience, et cetera, et cetera, um, is going to work out well. You run some ads, you don't get the ROI that you're looking for. It doesn't mean that there aren't other campaigns to be run. And I think that that's also a challenge is that, um, you know, and for a lot of agencies, like you say, that they've picked uh, the platform that they're strongest at. They've figured out certain kinds of campaigns that often work well for different um different niche brands and other things, you know, fashion and, um, and automotive and this one and that one. And, um, and so it becomes difficult sometimes to find those new opportunities on their own, that this is going above and beyond just saying that you should have some more money going into Facebook, but actually, you know, having a, a campaign that instead of being complete guesswork of we hope that this might work better, but, well, um, but that, you know, this seems to be something that you're missing out on. Well, and I think it also helps you have that conversation with the finance director or the owner of the business and go, right, I need $10,000 to spend here. And this is going to be the outcome. Uh, rather than going, please give me $10,000, because I've got this idea that we're going to test to see if something happens. We're so going we're from gambling to, into yeah. something a little bit more concrete. Well, we actually have as part of our, uh, so we have um, part of our marketing is 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 the slots, we, and on the slots are all the are all the platform logos. So you've got Google, Facebook, Amazon, everybody spinning around, and it's like, are you gambling with your marketing budget? All right, because actually we sort of place our bet on what worked well last time, but 
over time, what we've all seen, and I'm, I'm certain some of the listeners to this podcast will be like, well, my CPCs are going up. My cost on Google's going up. It's getting more competition. It's getting harder. The only real big winners are the Googles and the Facebook. iOS 14 has turned the world upside down on, on Facebook. Some people have pulled right back. Other people have kept going, but aren't necessarily sure on the metrics. So all I know is that, um, this is complicated and hard. And what we're trying to do is organize this data to enable people to make better decisions and have some insight and hopefully not necessarily always go with the Google first world. That's sort of my, my view is where are the pockets of opportunity, the lower hanging fruits to give you that advantage over your competition. So you may have already missed TikTok, but what's the next TikTok? All right, where's the next opportunity? And, and how can we help you identify that? Yeah, well, and... You know, I, I still am supportive of people trying to start off with a core campaign or two, you know, when they're starting out, find some winners, lean in, get some data instead of spreading their budget into 10 advertising platforms. And, you know, whether it's agency labor, whether it's in-house, dividing their attention between 10, that that's usually not the, the right answer. I mean, my, now you may find a couple of platforms that perform well, a couple of campaigns that way. But it's often nice to start a little bit broader on one platform, break it down, et cetera. But again, that's that's because you're going through very much a test and measure process that typically takes weeks and months um, to really hone versus going in by spending more time looking at the competitive landscape and coming in with, with more data uh, in the first place. So when it comes to expansion... It certainly sounds like, like uh, a real advantage to come in with, with that kind of data. Now, I imagine that from time to time there's a dud. Um, you know, would you say that the, you know, I mean, I, I, the machines haven't quite taken over yet? So. Uh, and I, I don't. And I also think well, the machines aren't going to take over. What we're trying to do is uh, help people identify and zoom in really quickly on where the opportunities are. But your point before, right? There might be we might be out of stock. There might not be the margin in that product, right? We might want to be holding that stock back to, to sell it at a different price somewhere else. So we still need the human person to help with the merchandising and the, uh, and the actual trading of, of that product or the sales decisions around that. Um, but I, it's, yeah, there's always, and, it, and we're not guaranteeing it's 100% right or the insight. What is scary, though, is the overall forecast by channel uh, seems to be super accurate from all the testing we've done. So we launched the full campaign level version only just after the holiday period. So it's still like we just launched an NRF in New York um, into, into the US retail market. It was very well received. And so I, I think there's, uh, as well as us helping you identify what your competition are and aren't doing, we can also be a competitive advantage to anybody who wants to use it because it's still very new. Um, so there's that element to it, I suppose, as well. And, you know, from your perspective, when we're talking about, you know, taking this uh, competitive look at the landscape and building out additional uh, ads and campaigns and things and expanding onto other platforms for advertising and such, what are the, the KPIs that you would traditionally look at? Is it, you know, is it... A, a better ROAS, a better return on ad spend? Is it, um, yeah, what so do you I, like to look at? Well, person, personally, as, as, a, as, as a, a very careful Yorkshireman, and in Yorkshire, we're renowned for being very careful and sensible with our money in, in the north of England. Uh, I'd always want to look at margin and profit. 
and our and our software can optimize to margin and profit. However, and we can even do that to a product level if we need to, or a campaign level. However, most clients are optimizing to ROAS. And most clients still, and it breaks my heart, are optimizing to a last click wins or a last non-direct click wins. Uh, we still haven't got to that whole understanding of with the upper funnel activity, what influence that is having on the actual click. And I, and I think over the next two or three years, we're going to have to change how we market because everybody's fighting over that lower funnel click. And it, the cost of those clicks is just going to get more and more expensive. So actually, what we almost need to think about is, well, are there some upper funnel activity we could be doing that avoids the person even getting to that click and they come back on a brand term and just buy from our products? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of uh, how, I, how I would sort of see it is we, we've got to think about it in a, in a different way now. Um, well, John, I have to tell you, I disagree now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, pra fine. pragmatically, uh, I, I would agree that, you know, I, I've been in the Google Ads space for a very long time um, and, and working with some of these other platforms. And I've only seen uh, the costs go up, as, you know, because these are auction systems, they're bid systems. And um, they're designed that is to the make nature the of the beast. Money. Yeah, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're, they're not designed to make Google uh, less money. Right? That's right. You know, so... I would tend to agree with that train of thought that marketers, because of the maturity, uh, uh, if we can call it that, I don't know, somebody is going to give me a hard time for that. But, you know, at least comparative maturity of the e-commerce landscape, it's extremely difficult um, to, to compete for last click wins in quite the same way with, without uh, a broader campaign set that's going to look at top of funnel as well. So uh, I'm with you completely. Well, uh, John, an absolute pleasure pleasure chatting with you today, especially as you're thawing out from NRF. <laughs> and uh, uh, before we we wrap it up, any final thoughts, um, any words of wisdom or prognostications, anything in your crystal ball? Uh, I think I think everybody recently's uh, been raving about the metaverse and where does that fit in and what we're going to do about that. And I'm a keen cyclist and I'm regularly on the cycling app called Swift. And there's loads of advertising opportunities there. And I don't think people are leveraging that. But the, the biggest thing we've seen and we're talking about with a lot of our retail partners and, and clients is um, this whole uptake in TikTok and social selling. And I, I just think it's almost like QVC or TV shopping channel, but online delivered with some passion. And I think a lot of people aren't taking it very seriously. But if you understand the metrics and understand if you can engage with some of the influencers who are doing it, it's almost like an unboxing on steroids. Uh, someone's In doing China, an amazing. China, they've run that stuff constant. Ah. I mean, that's become you know it's, one of the, the biggest you know in the last few years the the, the biggest arenas in e-commerce are. And I, yeah. I remember in a, in a previous business, uh, myself, my business partner, right, we're going to take our business and we're going to go over to China and teach them how to do PPC. And then realized when we, we got to China that they don't do any PPC and they don't really need to do SEO because everything's done in app, uh, on video, in the palm of hand. But I think what, we, what we're learning is that a lot of, and it may be some of the younger generation, but they're quite engaged in who's selling them what they're selling and the brand and this whole experience and thing. And a lot of it comes from the, some of the sort of lifestyle and um, fly on the wall TV, uh, real, reality TV that everybody's got addicted to watching. This is now just, and I, and I think if I was a retailer or an e-commerce platform is how can I 
include this into my content and marketing strategy going forward, but actually almost it's crossover between, right, we want interesting product content. Also, it's hardcore sales messaging, some of it. Some of it is like buy this now, this bundle, that bundle. And it is almost like a, a shopping channel, uh, but you can take control of it. And I, I think if you've already got a studio and you're doing unboxing and you're videoing your products and you've got the 360 shot and you've got the camera, right? Why don't you just point the camera at a person with the product and test it, right? And make it fun and make it interesting. You've probably got some really smart people within your business who'd love to, who are passionate about your product or service, who would love to have a go at it. So I, I think that's where we're going to get, that's going to be the most interesting change over the next six, 12 months. I don't think we're all going to be putting on VR goggles and, and buying things next week. Not right. just yet. Well, you know, when you turn out to be just completely wrong in a, a year or two, I, drinks are on you. But <laughs> yeah, fine. That's fine. Yeah. I'll enjoy, you know, hopefully we'll have a follow up and we'll find out because I, I absolutely I do think that there's there's a lot to it. Well, um, John, thank you again for sharing your time with us today to our audience. As always, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll have more great content like this for you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jet Rails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.